little piece of video. You guys ready back there? I don't know if you know who Bill Dance is. Um, if you're a fisherman, um, you might know who he is. Uh, he's a professional fisherman from Tennessee. Um, that's the only thing I can find really this deficient about him. Is, uh, he's, he's a big orange fan. But uh, here's a little bit of video. Here's some of the things that if you watch Bill Dance on TV, you don't always get to see these parts here. So bad. There's many different types of baits that can be used for situations like this. Now, one in particular would be a bait that I... Oh, man. You should always, and I mean always, put some thought about what you're going to do. And what... Reverse it that strong. You said watch out for the stump. I said watch the stump. I didn't mean you had to repeated cast to the same place. The fish are inactive, first of all, and you gotta go. Thank <laughs> you. 
the Oklahoma blade. Golly. Come here. Man, in towing your boat, here is a safety check. Those uh, those go on. There's some really good ones. Uh, You you ought to watch those if you get a a chance. When Jesus invited his first followers to to follow him, it's interesting because he makes his agenda for them clear right up front. He, He says to them... I want you to follow me, and when you do that, I'm going to make you into something that you're not right now. I'm going to show you how to do something that you're not doing right now. Now, when Jesus says something like that, uh, we expect him to say, well, follow me, and I'm going to make you more disciplined. Follow me, and I'll make you more spiritual. Follow me and I'll make you a better husband. I'll make you a better, a better wife. I'll, I'll show you how to, to be a better parent. I'll show you how to be better at handling your money. I'll show you how to be more organized. I'll show you how to be more holy. There's all kinds of things that, that we think Jesus might show us if we were to follow him. But when he calls his first followers, when he calls those, those first initial followers, I think that what he told them he was going to show them how to do, I think it confused them. And I think it scared them maybe a little bit. And I think the the thought might have crossed their mind, I'm not too sure I'm interested in doing what it is you're calling me to do. But they followed him anyway. We're beginning a a brand new series this week. We're calling Capturing God's Heart. It's a unique series for me because it's a series to prepare us for what I think God is going to do in our near future. The fall has always traditionally been a time of harvest, and and even in our church, it's been a harvest time for us, and I think this series is going to help us prepare for what God is getting ready to do in our church, and it's also unique because of how it came about. See, it wasn't originally on my preaching calendar uh, for for this year. I I always um, plan a year in advance, and, and it wasn't on here. But I moved some things around and, and, I, and I cut a, a series short because I wanted to get this in here. But let me tell you what happened. A few weeks ago, I began to pray this prayer. Lord, give me your heart for lost people. Lord, give me your heart for lost people. And then I began to pray silently for people that I would see. People that I see when I'm out driving around town, people who are in their yards or on the sidewalk or, or, or at the intersection, people who are standing, uh, you know, waiting in line with me at the store, wherever I go in the community, I'm just praying, God, if you want to use me, if you want to use, uh, use our church, if you want to use our people to reach that person and that person and that person, God, we want to be open and we want to be ready. Use us. And then a couple of weeks ago, I began asking God to give you his heart for lost people. Asking him to use you and me to reach and grow as many people as possible in Christ Jesus. I'm praying for us to capture God's heart for people who are far from him, people who are lost. 
and apart from him. See, I believe that Jesus' agenda in calling those first disciples is also his agenda for calling you and me. It's also what, what he wanted to do in them and for them. He wants to do in us and for us. And just like them, it's a little confusing. It's maybe a little scary. And how we respond to that calling depends on a lot of things. Depends on our religious background. You know, depends on whether or not we grew up in church. Depends on our experiences with different types of Christians. You know, I've come to the conclusion at this point in my life that there are different brands of Christians. You know, um, like maybe in heaven there's going to be different neighborhoods of Christians. And, and uh, you know, I love them, but there's some Christians I don't want to live in their neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? And just like Jesus said to his earliest followers, he says to us, follow me. And I'm going to show you how to do something. This morning I want us to look in our Bibles at the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's one of the four stories of Jesus' life, four accounts of Jesus' life that we find in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one told from the perspective of the writer. Most, uh, most scholars, most people who study this kind of thing believe that Mark's gospel is Peter's recollection. Uh, John Mark was Peter's nephew and traveled uh, on missionary journeys with him. Uh, and, um, and so the, the uh, scholars believe that, that what Mark wrote down was what Peter remembered about following Jesus. And he includes this story of the, 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 the time that Jesus called his first four followers. Jesus had a large group of people who followed him possibly as big as 120 or so at times. Sometimes there were fewer than that. But there were 12 who were closest to him, and they were known as his disciples. And the disciple is a learner. It's a student. And these were, the, the, they were men, and they traveled with Jesus everywhere he went. They assisted him in his ministry. They, they were taught by him. They were involved in, in every, every day, every aspect of his ministry, pretty much everywhere along the way. And Mark tells us the story of when they were called. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 14. It says, later on, after John was arrested, now that's John the Baptist, John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. It shouldn't surprise us, Jesus is out preaching, he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching God's good news. And here's what he was saying, verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last. To all the Jewish people who had been waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come, and who had had to endure false messiahs and wannabes, Jesus says the real deal's here. The real deal is here. The promises that have been made to you, that were made way back in the Old Testament, they're about to be fulfilled, Jesus says, because he announced the kingdom of God is near. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And to the Jewish person who heard that, that meant one thing. It meant freedom. You see, they were an occupied people living in an occupied country. They hated the Romans. And when they heard the Messiah is coming, what they thought, what, what came up in their mind was this warrior king who was going to drive out the Romans and, and set them free. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. And then he says, repent of your sins. 
and believe the good news. Now, there's an awful lot in that little short sermon. Jesus, that was Jesus' message. But there's an awful lot there. In the Old Testament, repentance was what they did to prepare for God to do something. A lot of times it was expressed like this. God would say to them, repent and I'll return to your land. Repent and I will go ahead of you and fight for you. Uh, you know, repent and I'll restore you. It was one of the things they did to prepare for what God was going to do. But here Jesus uses the word a little bit differently. It still kind of has a connotation of, of preparation. But what Jesus is saying is that if you will repent, if you'll turn your heart and your thoughts and your affection back to God, if you will do that, you will be one of the few people who recognize what God is about to do. If you'll get right with Him, if you will get your, your heart ready, you'll be ready because the kingdom is coming. God is getting ready to do something significant, but if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. And the way to make sure that, you, that you're paying attention, the way to make sure that you don't miss it is to begin to prepare now. There's an awful lot of things in our walk with God that are just like that. We want to see God do things. We want it to be used by Him. We want Him to accomplish things through us. And you know what Jesus would say to us? Then you begin to pray, prepare for that now. You begin to prepare for then, right now. Every now and then on the news, they'll report that, uh, that there's going to be a meteor shower. And, and you know, every single time, I plan to get up and watch it. I have never seen a meteor shower. Never. I mean, I meant to. I fully intended to. I meant to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go out in my pajamas and watch it. But I didn't. The good daddies were out there. They were out there with their... Oh, somebody went, oh... With, they were out there with their telescopes set up and their charts of the night sky and they were pointing out you know, to their kids, this is this planet and this is that star. And I was in the house going... <laughs> you know, my kids couldn't have got me up if they set my shorts on fire. I wasn't out there to see the meteor shower. A meteor shower came and went. But listen to this now. The fact that there were people out there looking for it didn't make it happen. The fact is they got to see it because it was going to happen. Because they prepared to see it happen. Everybody else slept through it. Jesus is saying God is about to do something. He's going to do something enormous. He's getting ready to do something that's brand new. And if you're going to be part of it, you've got to prepare for it now. And the time to prepare for it is now, Jesus says. God's doing something new. And the only people who are going to see it are the people who are prepared to see it. The people who are looking for it. You know, I've never found an arrowhead. My, my brothers have found dozens and dozens. Some of you may have found them. You know why I've never found them? Because I don't look for them. I don't. Well, my brothers go out and they've got their sticks and they're, they're turning over dirt and they're kicking leaves and they find them. I don't find them because I'm not looking for them. 
Jesus says, God's getting ready to do something. If you want to be ready, you've got to be looking for it. That was the message he was preaching. And he's out preaching that message when he comes across those first people he calls to be his followers. Look in verse 16, Mark chapter 1, 16. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. <laughs> and for the slow people, Mark adds this, for they fished for a living. Okay. Just in case you were wondering, why are they throwing that net in the water? They fished for a living, okay? And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to be more spiritual. Come follow me, and I will show you how to be a better person. Come follow me, and I will show you how to be more holy. No. Jesus says, guys, I want you to follow me. And what I'm going to ask you to do is not something that that you'd necessarily sign up for. It's not even something that you understand right now. But I'm going to show you how to do something you don't know how to do yet. It's not something you can do for yourself. It's not something that will happen overnight. You're entering into a process. You're entering into an apprenticeship. Jesus says, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. In Luke's gospel, he tells the same story. And he tells us that Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. To which those disciples went, do what? It didn't make any sense. It couldn't have made any sense to them. But look what happens next in verse 18. They left their nets at once and followed him. How faithful. How how committed. How irresponsible. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 19. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. Luke tells us that Simon and Andrew were partners in this fishing business with James and John and their father. Okay, Five-way partnership. So Jesus comes along. And said, man, this thing is killing me today. All right. Maybe it'll stay. Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And four of them, four of the five, leave their dad and their business partner. Hey, dad, see you later. We're going to follow this preacher we've known for five minutes. Good luck with the fishing business. I don't think they had a clue what Jesus meant. When he said, follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. They may not even have heard all that he said in the excitement. But in just a little while, that's what they were. That's exactly what they were, fishers of men. See, it wasn't long before they understood that if you are a follower, you are a fisherman. If you're a follower, you're a fisherman. And they took the message they heard Jesus preach. And they began to share it with others. And they began to help them understand, hey, if you're a follower, you're a fisherman. And those people took it and shared it with other people. If you're a follower, you're a fisherman. And those people took it and they shared it with others, who shared it with others, who shared it with others. And here we are, halfway around the world, 2,000 years later, believing in, placing our trust in, living for a Jewish carpenter. 
Not because somebody followed him way back then, but because a handful of people got it. They understood that being a follower means being a fisherman. Jesus did for them what he said he would do, even though they didn't have a clue. They couldn't have had a clue what he was talking about. When he said, I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And and it wasn't just those four. Those four were fishermen. They at least had some familiarity with fishing, right? But it wasn't just them. Jesus took a a crooked, thieving tax collector, taught him how to fish for people. There were former prostitutes who followed Jesus, and they became fishers of men. There's a woman who'd been married five times, and the guy she was living with wasn't even her husband. And Jesus said, I can tell you all about yourself. I can, you, know, you need to know me. You need to recognize me and worship me. And she went, the Bible says, and told everybody she knew. She became a fisher of men. There was a man who was possessed by a demon. Jesus cast out the demon. He told him, go tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. Tell him how merciful he is. And he began to fish for people. When Jesus called you and me to follow him, it wasn't just to make us more spiritual or more holy or to make us a better person or a better mate or a better parent. What he wants to do, he wants to do in our lives is make us able to do in the lives of others what someone did in our life. He wants to make it so that we can share with others what someone else shared with us. The interesting thing is that when we became a Christian, none of us signed up for that, did we? I mean, none of us did. Nobody in this room became a Christian because you wanted to fish for people. We didn't even know what it meant. I I became a Christian for the same reason a lot of you did. I, I was a little boy and an evangelist named Johnny Joslin literally scared the hell out of me. But which being interpreted means he explained to me that when people die, they go to heaven or hell. And that heaven is is wonderful, incredible, beautiful, and that hell is horrible and, and, and awful. And if you become a Christian, you get to go to heaven, not hell. I didn't have to think about that one too long, did you? Sign me up. Sounds good to me. Pretty selfish motivation when you think about it. Others of us became Christians because we wanted something from God. Maybe we had a marriage that was blowing up or finances that were crumbling. Maybe we had a a health scare or we had a loved one who who was sick or dying. We we, we needed God to to fix something, to, to stop something, to do something. Selfish motivation. Even after we become Christians... I mean, when we pray, don't we pray like, gimme, gimme, bless me, bless me, protect me, help this to work out, help that to work out, get me a job, get me another job, get me a better job, fix my marriage, get me a marriage, get me another marriage, get me a boyfriend, please get rid of this boyfriend. Help me, protect me, give me, bless me. 
And God is so patient. He's so patient. He answers our prayers and He works in our lives and He guides our steps and He shows Himself faithful over and over and over. And just like those first followers of Jesus, we didn't become Christians because we wanted to fish for people. We became Christians because of what Jesus had done for us. There's part of the story that Mark leaves out and Luke tells us that Jesus called these men to follow him and become fishers of men right after they had been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. You might remember that story from Sunday school or vacation Bible school growing up. They'd gone out and they'd fished all night and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says to them, hey, let's go fishing. And I think they kind of chuckled at that because it's 11 o'clock in the morning and the professionals fished at night. And I, I think they kind of you know, said to each other, oh, you know, he's a carpenter. What does he know about fishing? I mean, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. If we go fish now, all we're going to get is a, is a sunburn. And besides, we've already started you know, repairing our tackle and, and cleaning our nets. But Jesus is insistent. Let's go fishing. And Peter's like, I, which is Alabama for all right, <laughs> let's get this over with. I think he wants to get Jesus off his back, but he puts his boat into the water and he throws his net out and he begins to haul in so many fish that he can't reel them all in. He can't bring them all into the boat. And so John gets in his boat and brings his boat over and they catch so many fish, it fills up both boats. They're about to capsize. And that's when Jesus says, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. What else were they going to do? No thanks, we'll stay here and clean fish. They're going to follow Jesus. Not because they wanted to be fishers of men. Again, I don't even know if they heard him say that part. They heard follow me and they were so excited about following this teacher who could produce all of these fish, who can do these marvelous, wonderful things for our lives and our business and you know, everything that's going on with us. I'm going to follow you. I think the other part, they kind of glazed over that. They, they didn't hear it. They didn't understand it. And they followed him not because they wanted to be fishers of men, but because of what they had experienced, what they had seen and heard, because of what he had done for them. And here's the deal. I think Jesus says, that's okay. That's a start. You know, it's a little self-centered. But if you will follow me, I'm going to show you how to do something you don't know how to do right now. If you will just step out and follow me, I'm going to show you how to fish for people because being a follower means being a fisherman. Followers fish. And when we follow Jesus, something amazing happens. He takes all of the, the, the mundane, routine stuff that happens in our lives between birth and death, and He will use it to bring eternity to our lives and to the lives of others. Because a Christian's life is not just about bless me, protect me, provide for me, get me a job, get me a mate. But guess what? All of that stuff, all of that temporary, temporal stuff that is not going to last. Hey, if you live long enough, your spouse, that spouse you prayed for, that spouse God gave you, one of you is going to die, that marriage is going to be over. You live long enough, 
that job that you, that you just knew you had to have, if you live long enough, you're, you're going to retire. That, you're going to be done. They're going to show you the door. Hey, thanks, but you, you're finished. God can take all of that temporary stuff and He can give it eternal value if we will allow Jesus to make us fishers of men. God can use our lives to impact eternity. Your life, my life, He can use it to impact eternity. I know this is hard to get our head around. We've got to get this if we're going to capture God's heart for lost people. God is able to take everything that happens in our lives between birth and death, all of our needs, all of our wants, all of our wishes, all of our desires, all of our struggles, all of our pain, all of our problems, all of our hardships, all of our joys, all of our sorrows, all of our losses. God is able to take all that and shape it in such a way that you and I are perfectly positioned Because of who we are and what we've experienced, we're perfectly positioned in someone else's life to be a fisher of men for them. God can use us to bring them to Jesus. God will put us in the perfect place to impact someone else's life because of all we've experienced in our life. If we will follow Him, He will use our lives to reach into the lives of other people. That's what it means to fish for people. Followers are fishermen. Followers fish. You know, some people look at me and they say, Well, Pastor Scott, it's easy for you to fish. You're a preacher. And you know, from my perspective, I think you would be better at it because I'm a preacher. Because when I talk to people, they expect me to talk to them about Jesus. You know, I knock on somebody's door and it's like, don't answer the door. It's the preacher. Turn off the lights. Lay down on the floor. Maybe he'll go away. It's a big disadvantage. You know, when somebody finds out that I'm a pastor... Sometimes there's something that kind of closes off in people. Like they're afraid I'm going to grab them, you know, and dunk them in the nearest mud puddle or something, or hit them over the head with a Bible. I don't know. But your friends, your family, people you work with, people you go to school with, they won't do that with you. Our natural tendency is to look at ourselves and, and to think, well, I can't fish. I mean, but we'll look at somebody else and go, you, you'd be great at it. I mean, you lived such a life of sin. I mean, I mean, you know, you had all that sin and evil junk in your past. Uh, no, no, I, I mean, you were so far down in the pits and Jesus brought... Uh, what I'm trying to say is, you've got a great testimony. I don't have a testimony. I had a nice little easy, wrinkle-free life. But you, you've got a testimony. And the person with the testimony, with all the, with all the sin and the junk in their past, they think, well, I couldn't be a fisherman. I got too much baggage. But you, you know, you pretty much obeyed God and walked with Jesus. You'd make a great fisher of men. And that person goes, no, 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 I, I don't have a story. You've got a story. I don't have a story. The other person says, boy, do I have stories. But that's why I can't be a fisherman. I can't fish. I'm too young. I'm too old, can't speak very well, I'm not good with people, I, I, I don't know them very well. 
um, they know me too well. Well, here's what I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else, you don't hear anything else out of this passage of Scripture, hear this. Jesus said, you follow me and I will show you how to fish for men. Follow me and I will show you how to fish for men. You're not going to come into this thing understanding how to do it. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. And, and, and yes, you're going, to, you're going to do it wrong. And yes, you're going, to, you're going to have these stereotypes that hold you back. I mean, you're going to think, I don't want to knock on doors. and I don't want to hand out tracts. I don't want to carry a big sign. And, and God says, we're not talking about methodology. We're talking about you following me and letting me use your life and your experience to have an eternal impact in the life of another person. Right now, each of us is perfectly positioned to be a fisher of men in someone's life. Every one of us. We are perfectly positioned in our families. We're perfectly positioned in our neighborhoods. Perfectly positioned at our jobs. In our world, in our sphere of influence, we are perfectly positioned to share through who we are, through our life and our personality, the message of Jesus. And there is somebody who will listen to you who would never listen to me. There's somebody whose life you can impact who would never be impacted by the person who's sitting on either side of you or in front of or in back of you this morning. Only you. Think about when you came to faith in Christ. When, when, you, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to think about the person or the group of people that God used in your journey to bring you to faith in Christ. And I'm going to tell you something about your journey. It wasn't the message, was it? You'd heard the message before. I'd be willing to bet that that person or those people didn't come up to you and say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you went, do what? I never heard that before. I've never heard anything like that. That's not how it happened, because it wasn't the message It was the messenger. It was the messenger. It was what they meant to you and how they cared about you and what you knew about their life. What you knew about what they had struggled with and what they had been through. So it was the message and the messenger combined with the unique circumstances of your life at that point in time. That's what made them perfectly positioned to be a fisher of men that caught your interest and reeled you in to a relationship with your heavenly Father. You may be thinking, I I can't talk to people like you can. I I don't know the Bible. I mean, you've been speaking 30 minutes, and I, I just now found Mark. What chapter are we in? It's not just the message. It's the messenger intersecting a person's life at a critical time, and they get it. They believe it. They begin to follow Jesus. Who is it? Who is it? Where is it that right now God has you perfectly positioned because of your life, because of all you've been through and all you've experienced and all your struggles? Where is it? Who is it that God has you perfectly positioned in their life to be a fisher of men for them? Being a follower means being a fisherman. Followers fish. Now, 
If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus, or you brought your friend who's not a believer in Jesus, you may be sitting there thinking, great, what a Sunday to bring somebody to church. Because this just confirms every stereotype, right, that people have about Christians. Always fishing around in somebody's life. You know, got that superior attitude that what they've got you need and, and uh, uh, you know, always, always messing around, always trying to convince somebody of something. I want you to know something. Here's why. Here's why we become fishers of men. It is not because we think we're better than you. It's because we know we are better off than we were. And we want you to be too. Here's why I think this series is so important and how crucial it is that we, we seek to capture God's heart when it comes to lost people. Because each of us, whether we know it or not, whether we understand it or not, and frankly, whether we believe it or not, we are perfectly positioned in someone's life to be a fisher of men. And if we're not looking for it, if we're not growing in that direction, if we're not asking God and looking for Him to use us in that way, we will sleep through the meteor shower. We will miss the opportunity to be used by God in someone's life in an amazing, incredible, life-changing I want to give you a, a homework assignment. I, and I know when I've done this before, you know, there's a handful of you who will do it, and God bless your hearts. And the rest of you will kind of, see you next week. You figure you got your brownie points because you showed up. Um, but please, please, uh, please do this. Please do this simple assignment. It's, it's simple, it's easy to do, it's, it, it's non-threatening. I want you to walk up to 10 people this week and look them in the eye and say, I love you and God loves you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to do that. I wish you could have seen your face. <laughs> I wish you could see some of your faces now. You're like, <sighs> That's not it. Here's, here's what I want you to do. There's an index card in your bulletin. Okay, but you, don't, you don't have to use that card. Just, just get a piece of paper and write down three names. I want you to write down three names. People that you, with any degree of certainty, believe God may have perfectly positioned you in their life to be a fisher of men. Some of us may only be able to come up with one name, you know, with 100% certainty. One or two, maybe. But, but go ahead and list three. If you've got two that you think God may be perfectly positioning you in their lives, write their names down. Write down the names of people you think God has placed you in their lives to use who you are and what you've been through and what you've experienced to reach them with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Put those names where you can see them every day on the dashboard of a car. You know, take to a kitchen cabinet. The medicine cabinet mirror. Put them where you can see them every day. And when you see those names, pray a simple prayer. Pray something like this. Lord, use me. Give me an opportunity to be a fisher of men in the lives of these people. In Jesus' name, amen. And then watch what happens.
Prepare yourself now and look for the opportunity for God to use you in someone else's life, in the life of the person. He has perfectly positioned you in their life to be a fisher of men. Being a follower means being a fisherman. Followers fish. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.